Atamari, yeah, cutting through the bureaucracy. It's first up here. It's Rahina. That's Monday, the 13th of March. Kornathan Rarariaho. Coming up, we talk USA and Europe as a football commentator's criticism of the British government's new asylum policy leaves match of the day with no commentary. We'll ask Karikari's fire chief if the cut-off Auckland community can rebuild or if it's just too dangerous to live there now. And flood victims are angry that more wasn't done to maintain the waterways that destroyed their homes. Clean out the streams. They are now city drains, as nice as they are with the bush, but they are city drains with all the intensification that pours into them. Just clean out the drains like you're meant to. everybody, welcome to First Up, Nathan Rarity here and our first stop of the week. The first of First Up this week is in USA, in Los Angeles. It's our correspondent, Dick Hilton. Kia ora, Dick, how are you? Nathan, good morning, how are you? I'm very good, sir. Tell me this, Donald Trump is in Iowa, campaigning for his party's nomination. Has he been joined on the ballot by any other candidates that say, yep, I'll stand with you? Well, he's uh, joined on the uh, ballot by a couple of people that uh, say they will run, but uh, more importantly, those who are not yet committing themselves, not the least of which is Ron DeSantis, the uh, governor of Florida. Uh, DeSantis was in Iowa last week, ostensibly uh, promoting a book that he's written. But the only reason that you do a book tour in Iowa is because you want to run for president. There's no other reason for a political candidate to be there. So uh, there's a great deal of interest in terms of what is going to be happening. And the reality is for Donald Trump, as he makes his um, case uh, to the voters in uh, Davenport, Iowa, uh, tomorrow, and uh, is that his popularity in Iowa uh, is waning uh, compared to DeSantis. Uh, Some recent polling shows that, frankly, they both have the same favorability among Republicans. So it's a long time between now and when those first caucuses are held, which is almost a year from now. Uh, But uh, clearly, Iowa is an important state for a Republican or Democrat, for that matter, if you want to be president of the United States. Yeah. Um, I see there. Now, this was something to do, of course, with the former president there, President Trump. Uh, A bit of noise on the Stormy Daniels front. Some people speculating charges might be laid soon. What are you hearing? Well, there's a possibility. Um, There has been a grand jury investigation into the payment that uh, Trump made to Stormy Daniels uh, to cover up their alleged affair. And that grand jury has been going on for quite some time. Uh, Trump has now been invited to come and speak to the grand jury to offer testimony. Generally speaking, when that happens, um, that is an indication that that individual is a target of an indictment. So there is uh, quite a bit of speculation that we could see, in fact, an indictment of the former president from this uh, grand jury in New York City uh, sometime this coming week. And if so, Uh, That certainly would uh, add to all of the drama around this uh, run for the Republican nomination that Trump is making once again. You you mentioned drama. I'm going to get Katrina to play the music because you can't talk about the Oscars unless unless you get this nice (laughs) bit of music underneath here. We are just hours away from the Oscars kicking off. I'm not sure if you've got your goodie bag. Tell us about it. Will you be watching? Does does the the whole of America grind to a standstill? Well, pretty much. Uh, we, we love the Oscars here in Hollywood. And, of course, um, there's a lot of speculation this year as to which might be uh, the best picture uh, winner. Um, everything all at once, uh, or given whatever title that uh, particular film has, 
uh, has been uh, getting a lot of speculation as to a winner. But all's quiet on the Western Front, as you know, did very well with the BAFTA Awards uh, in uh, Britain uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So it now seems to be uh, one of the nominees that certainly has an opportunity for a win. Frankly, uh, my pick for Best Picture is uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, It's a film that is filled with a lot of excitement. I I love that film. You don't have to think about it. Uh, It's not something where you have to go home and say, what did I just see? It's an enjoyable. <laughs> I would really like to see that. <laughs> I was wondering about this. Yeah, those you know, there was a year that old school should really have won. It didn't even get nominated. I thought it was very wrong. And let's just move to uh, something different there: the financial world. There, the uh, the Silicon Valley Bank. What's the latest on the collapse with that? Well, the latest on that is that uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, saying just a couple of hours ago here in the United States on one of the morning uh, talk shows, there will be no bailout. Uh, for those who have a lot of funds in that bank. Uh, You may know that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which covers uh, deposits in banks, covers up to $250,000 on individual deposits. Well, there are a lot of people that have a lot more money, uh, some of these techs, uh, some of the startups, uh, some of the venture capitalists, uh, and they wanted a bailout uh, because they can see millions of dollars uh, going down if they don't get a bailout, Yellen says no. Now, what's interesting is the venture capitalists a few years ago when Donald Trump was president wanted uh, him and the Republicans to take away a lot of the regulations that they had at the time. They wanted to be able to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do when it came to investments. Trump agreed, signed a bill that took a lot of those regulations away. Now those very same venture capitalists are running to the federal government and the Biden administration saying, Bail us out. Bail us out. So they wanted to have it both ways. And as of this morning, they don't. They can just invest in crypto. Apparently, that's what everyone else has done. Tell me this. Uh, last week when we spoke, you were talking about the weather didn't look good for California. It was going to be very cold. I understand it's close to the worst at the moment. What's happening? Yeah, it's gotten worse. Uh, what's happening is uh, more of uh, these rainstorms and snowstorms across California. And what has happened is that in many of the areas that had so much snow, when you and I were talking just a week ago, in some cases up to uh, three, four, five meters of snow, now there is rain on top of the snow that's on top of a lot of the roofs. And that rain, of course, being more dense, has uh, just exponentially uh, added to the weight. And so a lot of roofs are collapsing. People can't get to where they're wanting to go. There are streams that are flooding. There are roads that have been torn out. People on one side of a road can't get to the other side of town. They're basically blocked. Uh, They're pretty much on an island. It's happening up and down uh, California right now. There is a bit of a let up today, but as we look ahead to midweek, there is more rain headed our way. Now, the good news is that California needs as much water as it can get right now. We've had this massive um, drought that we've been dealing with the last couple of years. So that's the good side. But so many people have been impacted. Uh, by this rain. Millions, if not billions of dollars in damage up and down the state. So it is really something that is affecting many, many people here in California, and it's not letting up. Yeah. Well, look, uh, stay safe, Dick. Thank you very much for your time, sir, out of Los Angeles. That's our correspondent, Dick Helton. It's 12 past five. You're listening to First Up here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity.
Something you might have heard of here. The BBC's flagship football programme, Match of the Day, went to air on Saturday with no presenter or commentator. Presenter and former England captain Gary Lineker was taken off air in the wake of his criticism of the British government's migrant policy. Stephen Powell has more. But here now is the best action from today's Premier League matches. A match of the day like no other. Not even a theme to. Just football and fan noise. I'm going to walk my dog and I'm going to do my shopping, so would you mind letting me do it on my own? But this disagreement between Gary Lineker and BBC bosses is now much more than one programme. He went on to say that he couldn't comment on discussions about his future just yet. But one former director-general is calling for calm. We've lost a couple of of sports programmes so far, which is obviously disappointing for Match of the Day fans who've got a much truncated version of Match of the Day. Um, But... Walking into the BBC this morning, it's, it's, it's a, you know, for a place which is meant to be in complete crisis, is its usual rather boring, solid set, self. For others, though, this has now become a question of the corporation's leadership. If we're going to draw a line and restore the, particularly the perception of the independence of the BBC, I think we need to take some real strong measures, and I think the chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, should resign. Thank you, Stephanie. The BBC's chairman, Richard Sharp, is subject to an external review into his appointment and his role in the facilitation of an £800,000 loan to former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He denies any involvement in the arrangement. There's also an internal review. He's yet to respond to calls for his resignation. Tim Davey, the BBC's current Director-General, has said he won't resign and has refuted claims that the organisation has buckled to pressure from Conservative MPs to suspend Gary Lineker. Some think the former striker overstepped the mark by criticising government immigration policy and the language around it. The Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, didn't want to get drawn into it. What needs to happen as a result of not just the discussions about Gary Lineker but also about the chairman of the BBC following uh, the independent investigation that's now happening is that we need to make sure we maintain that trust in the independence and the impartiality of the BBC. Now, attention is turning to other sports programmes. The Women's Super League coverage on BBC Two went ahead but without its usual pre-match presentation. Match of the Day 2 will air tonight but with a reduced format. The Director-General is expected in meetings tomorrow to try and sort the situation before the story ends up dominating the headlines next weekend like it has done this one. That was Stephen Powell with that report. It's quarter past five here, listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. I am going to ask you for your learnedness. Uh, 2101, it's Oscars Day. I've seen none of them. Um, if you've seen any of them, can you just give me like a, a, a two sentence summary of, of what the movie was like? Could you explain it in two sentences? I, I, I know someone asked me about, uh, actually my daughter did, about Pulp Fiction and I was like, oh man, uh, but it's about a guy that thinks he's seen a miracle and he's not quite sure. There you go. So uh, let me know, 2101, any of the movies. I hear The Whale's quite good, apparently a bit of a tearjerker, but that's that's pretty much all I've heard. So 2101, if you've seen any of the Oscar-nominated movies, and just explain it to me. Thank you very much. Well, Monday morning time, so we cross to Europe. It's Nita Blake-Person who is standing by. Morena, Nita, how are you? Kia ora, I'm well, thank you Nathan, how about yourself? I'm pretty good, tell me about this, sounds horrible, mass shooting in Hamburg there. It has gone and um, it sparked a debate on gun control in Germany, where have they gotten to there? 
Well, no concrete conclusions, but a lot of people wanting answers after Thursday's shooting, particularly after it's emerged that the police had been tipped off about concerns over the shooter's psychological state. Um, that shooter was a 35-year-old German citizen and former member of the Jehovah's Witness who opened fire on his former congregation in a hall in Hamburg. As you say, he killed eight people, including himself, and eight other people were wounded. It's since come out that in January, German authorities have received a letter saying that the shooter harboured a special rage against members of religious groups, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses. Several weeks after getting the letter, the police sent an unannounced team to his home to check on the situation, but found that he was open and cooperative and with the exception of one stray bullet outside the safe, everything was in order so they just gave him a verbal warning obviously not possibly foreseeing what's transpired here and because the letter had come through anonymously authorities say there was nothing else really that they could do, the shooter had a permit and his guns were legally owned but now of course that's prompted real concern, politicians are calling for gun laws to be tightened with several demanding urgent reviews of ownership rules especially after these red flags about his mental state Um, and as it stands Germany only requires those under 25 years old to have psychological assessments before getting these gun licenses which some green MPs have certainly said is questionable Shootings like these are quite rare in Germany, but they've been happening more in the past 10 years or so. Um, Other politicians, though, after this one, are wary about gun reform, saying they want to avoid a knee-jerk reaction. They believe that the current rules are adequate. Mm. Um, There's an interesting ruling here, this government in Latvia. Tell us about this. So they're they're confiscating the cars of drunk drivers, but then I wonder what, what do they do with them? So they take them off the drunk drivers and they're sending them to Ukraine. These, you know, they're not quite the leopard tanks or the armoured vehicles that uh, others are sending, but it's not the only support Latvia is providing. They've also supplied weapons and other aid. This, though, it's a slightly more novel way of helping out, it could be said. There's lots of support for Ukraine and Latvia because it borders uh, Russia, so many there fear that Putin could also invade there. So last week, Latvia's authorities posted a picture online of a big car carrier loaded with vehicles which are headed off to Ukraine. They said that they could be put to better use there, delivering supplies or moving medical crews around, not, as they said, to be used by drunken drivers on Latvian roads. Um, And for a sense of scale, 200 cars were taken from drivers with blood alcohol levels over 0.15% in two months in Latvia, and the population there is just 1.9 million people. Um, So they've got a steady supply. The charity which is delivering these cars to Ukraine is making sure they're not getting any rubbish ones, which might just break down on arrival. They recognise Ukraine needs transport, not more problems. On the other hand, they've said they don't need to be anything too fancy. You know, Ukraine doesn't need Teslas or new Mercedes either. And apparently this charity has already donated more than a thousand cars. So, yeah, I guess every little bit counts. <laughs> Just, I, I thought you were going to say they get like one of those little vits or a, uh, what do you call them? Uh, one of those one of those cars just to like launch it on a trebuchet across to uh, Russia. But it's <laughs> slightly different. OK, let's go to, let's go to France now. The, the president's controversial plan to raise the retirement age caused a lot of protest, but always oh, going to make them work two more years. Yes, it would appear so. The French Senate has approved President Emmanuel Macron's 
very unpopular pension reform plans, despite hundreds of thousands of people protesting across the country, official figures put the number of demonstrators at 368,000 people yesterday. I would have thought that was a pretty big turnout, but authorities had expected up to a million people to take part after a record 1.28 million people rallied on the streets earlier in the week. So yesterday evening, senators voted to adopt the reforms by 195 votes to 112, bringing this package, which is pretty much focused on raising the retirement age by two years to 64. It's a step closer to becoming law. It still has some political hurdles to get through later in the week. And unions, which are fiercely opposed to these changes, are planning another day of nationwide strikes and protests on Wednesday. But as you say, it's a controversial plan from Macron. His government insists the changes are essential to stop the pension system running out of money but there is so much opposition opposition polls, uh, rather opinion polls show the majority of voters oppose Macron's plan but it's just a slim majority that supports the strike action, they're actually causing widespread disruption so obviously that's a bit conflicting for people most people however though say they do believe the president will end up getting the changes through Nita, thank you very much for your time out of Europe. That is Nita Blake Person. It's 21 past five. Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, Glenn Forsyth talks about fruit and veg. And then uh, the origin of the term grape, grape fruit, fruit league in baseball. It's a goodie. And also we'll have victims of uh, Cyclone Gabrielle just really want the urban uh, waterways dealt with and kept nice and clean. We'll talk about that. There they are standing in the air. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. There he is, coconut in each hand, phone uh, squished between his ear and his shoulder. It's the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn. Morena, Nathan. Shall we have a moment's silence that the Raiders are none from two? We'll start a petition. They they hire Wayne Bennett in 2026. Yeah, it's, don't worry. It's early. It's early. Mathematically, <laughs> mathematically near the eight. There we go. Hey, tell me this. We're, we're just about halfway through March. And we haven't yes. mentioned five-plus-a-day recommendations for the month. People got their pens ready. Here we go. What do we got? Yeah, here we go. Five plus a day hits for March. is super busy. A Toyota Corolla car yard for sure, as you call it. First of all, apples and pears feature heavily with a healthy range of these fresh tasting new season apples. The third solid pear has begun too. The Taylor's Gold. They join our Packhams and Bosk. And two other hits they have nominated for March are Nashi and Limes. Now, we called out Nashi's a couple of Fridays ago as Fruit of the Week and best eaten chilled. They are super juicy and refreshing right now, but it is the limes you want to talk about. My gosh, have you seen them? Their deep green colour is so striking, it's like the best and biggest emerald in the jewellery store looking right at you. Our mate Ian Albers from First Fresh, he said last week of them, get your corona on, get your guacamole on, get the G&Ts cranking. New season limes, they're in plentiful supply. Prices are coming down as volumes come on stream. Good juice content and great external colour. Mexican cooking, he says, cut them in half and grill on the barbecue to have with steak or chicken or simply slice in the glasses of water. Endless use as limes. Beautiful fruit. I'd actually just written, Glenn, as you were uh, talking about limes, I wrote down carnitas season, and then you said Mexican food. So there we go. We'll, we'll chuck our, our carnitas recipe up uh, online uh, one day. Hey, um, the nashis, can I just say, we've been doing a nashi dish at home this week, which yes. is like, you know that take on, what's the one that people have that salad where they have like the uh, the slice, I think it's mozza, mozzarella with a uh, slice of tomato and then like a bit of basil on the top of it. We've been doing it with uh, halloumi and 
Nashi. Yeah. Now, you don't want no, them in the same bite, but you want them alternate bites. Oh, perfect. Just perfect. It's absolutely gorgeous. Brilliant. It's amazing how fr- some fruit goes so well in salads, too. It's, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. Hey, um, see the big bounce back to an Aussie produce, uh, produce after last year's floods. What's coming out of there at the moment? Yeah, I mean, isn't it ironic that none of the March hits were vegetables? It's like five plus a day had a crystal ball on that one. But interesting to note, though, in Australia and reported by Seven News, relief is coming to them on lower prices with meat, poultry, grain and fruit and vegetables as supply chains are starting to open up again. Now, we mentioned this as last year, from late February to early April, Australia's east coast endured three intense weather systems that led to record rains and flooding. Now, this may be a sign for us that the calendar year, you know, we're going to have disruptions, shortages, quality issues and some New Zealand vegetable crops that simply won't make it until Christmas. Tomatoes is one example where they have gone short and Australian product is already here. What is in good supply? Actually very little. However, three lines we identified at the markets this morning, better available than most, are potatoes, white button mushrooms and courgettes. And if you you know if you dig a little deeper in your pockets this week, broccoli and cauliflower are okay. If you have time, ask the children to join you in the kitchen this week and help prepare the potatoes. You know, they'll learn a lot and in, in Agria they make the best wedges. So get them in there and uh, and help help you along. Right, we need to be very quick. What's the uh, what's happening in fruit? What are we eating this week? Oh, I'm mentioning four fruits already. One would think there's not a lot left, but early autumn is a kind season, and there are still plenty of choices to go, even though some are imported. Plenty of Peru mangoes for sale, and down under it is grape season, including ours. But pretty some pretty classy red, green, seedless ones available from both Australia and Chile. Certainly a must for daytime snacks at the office and at school. Being, um, being at their peak, they are sweet, crunchy and nutritious. Yellow flesh nectarines, golden peaches and the divine peacherines, they're all available. Lots of blueberries going to Australia at the moment, but plenty staying behind for our appetite as well. Also those strawberries we brought up, they were from Windermere Berry Farms in Whanganui, a small family business, but they do a grand job. Windermere's flavour almost doubles the country's average on the brick scale, thanks largely to the unique trace element a combination in their pond used for irrigation that is fed from underground streams originating in the mountains they have a they have a great operation and also a calf with fruit ice creams and berry covered pancakes a must visit if you're in Whanganui for a day or three Nathan beautiful thank you very much there okay. he is the minister and we will yeah we'll get the uh, get the carnitas recipe out it's a good way to deal with some like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's our 13th, it's the 13th of March today. Uh, having birthdays this day, a couple of actors here for you. Donna Delaney, remember from um, China Beach? She was Nurse Colleen McMurphy, uh, is 67 years old today. And one of just the best sad-faced actor in, in the world, I think. William H. Macy, Jerry Lundegaard from Fargo, or any other movie where someone had to go... <sighs> if someone could look like the expression, <sighs> it's William H. Macy, and he does a beautiful job, and I love him for it. He's 73 years old today. It's Donald Duck's birthday today. Uh, 1934. This is according to the Donald Duck cartoon, which was called 
Donald Duck Happy Birthday that was released in 1949. It had a birthday cake. Now, Disney celebrates his birthday on June the 9th, 1934. It's a whole Queen's birthday, Queen's actual birthday sort of situation. Now, let's talk about discovering planets. On this day in 1781, William Herschel went, that's a comet, but it wasn't, it was Uranus. And uh, Clyde Tom- Tomba said, that's a planet, but it wasn't, it was Pluto. So there you are, 1930. Uh, this day in 1969, the movie Herbie appeared in cinemas. Volkswagen didn't want anything to do with it, said to Disney, you can't put our name or logo on the film. Um, so there you go. And on this day in 1915, this is great. So Florida's uh, spring training league for baseball is called the Grapefruit League. Apparently it got its name because the Brooklyn Dodgers, who were very into doing publicity stunts in 1915, their manager, the old man coach, he dreamt up this promo. There was a famous stunt pilot. Her name was Ruth Law. And he went, we'll get Ruth to fly over the ground. She'll drop a baseball out and I'll catch it in the outfield. And they went, that's great. However, once she got up into the air, she realised that she hadn't brought the baseball with her. And there was nothing else there. So with no other choice, it says here, she flung out a fruit, a grapefruit, that was supposed to be part of her lunch. It was 160 metres. It fell. He caught it. Here's what it says. Robinson got under it and made the catch and was covered in the ooze and goo of the broken fruit. Robinson thought he'd lost his eye because of the acid and the blood-like splatter that covered him and thought it was blood. Help, I'm dying. I'm bleeding to death, Robinson screamed as he fell down to the outfield. So it was called uh, the grapefruit uh, leg till then. Uh, he was fine. They just hosed it off. Anzaki is with me from the business team. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. And you, sir? Pretty good. That's a good stunt, that. we should. The Black Caps should do it with Gary Stead. Get him in the outfield just catching some fruit drop from 160 metres. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could possibly right. go wrong? Here we go. <laughs> um, tell me about the, I want to know about BP's chiefs, about the annual salary here going on here, because I, I know the price of the, uh, the, the food has increased at a BP. What about the annual salary? Yeah, not so difficult times uh, for the oil companies. Uh, They (laughs) seem to be doing well, don't they? Um, The boss of uh, oil giant BP, uh, Bernard Looney, his uh, annual pay has more than doubled to nearly $20 million. Um, And the biggest jump in his pay packet came from performance-related shares uh, as the company's profits more than doubled to a record uh, $27.7 US dollars. And uh, he's not the only one doing well. Uh, it comes just as uh, this week uh, it was revealed that the former head of Shell, he left at the start of the year. His, his pay had also jumped more than uh, 50% uh, last year to just under $20 million as well. Um, so... Uh, just remembering, uh, Bernard Looney described BP as a cash machine. Um, so not right. a very humble brag there. But um, uh, And also in other oil and gas news uh, this uh, over the past day, Saudi oil giant Aramco, uh, this, is, this doesn't even compare to BP in terms of the size of the profits. They've announced a record 2022 profit. One hundred and sixty-one point one billion US dollars. That's more than two hundred and sixty billion New Zealand dollars. Uh, not too far off the size of New Zealand's economy. Wow. Yes, I think yep. that's a good good description there. Okay, so we need to pay more for petrol. There we go. We've really got to help them out here. They're gonna how they're gonna make it to Christmas. 
without without any money. That's terrible. They, they need they need a help. They need, they, a help. They we need, need a help. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I keep giving them help every week, and it annoys me as I stick it in my car and do that and drive off. But there we go. Okay, okay. And uh, very quickly here, consumers can pick up the tab for the electricity line repairs. Yes, uh, more consumer, more good news for the consumer. Um, so they could uh, potentially face um, paying for the lines repairs after the recent uh, extreme weather, uh, unless the government considers other options. So basically, uh, the lines companies are limited uh, in terms of how much they can spend on uh, lines repairs. They're regulated by the Commerce Commission. Uh, so we heard uh, from a consultant uh uh, an energy consultant at Ernst & Young. She said, Angela Ogier, she said there's another option, uh, use funds in the emissions trading scheme uh, intended for climate adaption. As you know, the consensus is that severe weather events are likely to become more common with the effects of climate change. So why not address the resiliency issue? Mm. Yeah, why not? And Anne, thank you very much for your time. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Uh, to the money market now, sorry, I'm still staggered by that uh, that oil company profit. That's amazing. Uh, your New Zealand dollar is worth 61.37 US cents, 93.20 Australian cents, 57.66 Euro cents, 51.01 British pence, 4.251 and 82.84 Japanese yen. And we don't we don't let him out till uh, Tuesday because that's officially the end of the sporting weekend. It's Joe Porter who's uh, with us. Morning, Joe. How are you? Kia ora. Good, thank you. What what do we look at? In fact, we've got an update for us right now. Live action of uh, what's going on. I think we've got live action sport happening. Six Nations rugby. Uh, have you got a uh, got a score update for us there? You know what? I was just watching before, and it looks yeah, so the score hasn't changed. Twenty two seven Ireland over Scotland. Scotland started this tournament with an absolute hiss and a roar. Yeah. You know, dreams of the Grand Slam, which were unfortunately, you know, dealt a cruel blow by France. But it now looks like they're going to lose this game as well. So unfortunate for Scotland. That was going to be quite the story if they'd gone on to win that Six Nations. But there you go. Ireland up 22-7. Wow. In the 69th minute, so it looks like it's pretty much done and dusted. Yeah, they are. I mean, God, where do you want to look at? I mean, gosh, there's been so much. Oh, what, do you, what do you want to have a look at for the weekend? Well, well, I think we need to mention the Fijian Druids' wonderful win over the Crusaders in Lautoka on Saturday afternoon at a, at a packed Churchill Park. Only sort of four or 5,000 fans, but it sounded How was that only 4,000? Like it was so loud. <laughs> that was great fun to watch. Uh, what, a gra- what a game and what a result for the team. I, th- I can't remember the, the score last year, but it was like a 50-point drubbing, you know. Mm-hmm. And to turn it round and produce such such great such a great spectacle first and foremost, but to beat the Crusaders, the defending champions, and to show the resilience needed to do that in a tight match and all the rest of it was fantastic. So that was my Super Rugby result of the weekend. Yes, I, I just thought what was quite funny was there they are. They're down by two at the end. They win the penalty out in front, <laughs> and everyone's going, "Yay, we're going to win!" And they just pat the guy on the back. All right, yeah, go on, man. You just kicked that penalty, and I thought, "Oh, that poor guy." I know. The entire stadium's like, "Yeah, you've already kicked it," and he's like, "I haven't kicked it yet." Please. <laughs> Please, everyone, please, I'm 25 metres out right in front. Please don't, please. But, uh, no, he did nail it, so I felt happy for him. But, see, all the Crusaders people are going, what are you talking about that? What about England versus France? What about that? Hey, yeah, that's, that's. I mean, what? Yeah, that what is a quite smashing. a staggering result. And I know England are, the, are a kind of team where... 
they often do lose big in these games and they don't necessarily mean a lot coming into the World Cup and how they'll perform there. But certainly after sacking their coach, Eddie Jones, you know, the Steve Borthwick, their replacement, supposed to be, you know, able to work or do great things with this team not long before the World Cup and they've had a shocking Six Nations so far. Um, and just highlighted by the fact they've been absolutely spanked by the World Cup hosts, possibly tournament favourites at the moment, France, playing some really good rugby in England were just nowhere near it in that game and they look like a team that just doesn't, or have run out of ideas essentially. But look, I think uh, someone reminded me this morning they've lost, you know, pool games 36-0 in the World Cup and gone on to make the final and things like that. So they are a team that, you know, recent results don't necessarily mean everything to them, but signs are not good for that side of uh, heading into France this year. I believe the, the wonderful term of New Zealand athletic wisdom is too much weight's not enough speed work. Yeah, and yeah. that's what I think of when I look at them. And I'm like, well, France are way... Oh, France. They, not only are they more physical than you, they can outthink you. So Yeah, good, faster, bigger, yeah. stronger. If you're going to try and arm wrestle someone, you better be stronger than them. And if you're not, that's, that's, that plan just doesn't work, I don't think, as well. Where are we at with, with the cricket, Joe? Um, I think, what, the Black Caps got a little bit of a total to chase today. Yeah, not, not bad, though. I mean, it's set up for a really interesting final day, 257 runs to win, nine wickets in hand you know, Hagley Oval, it should be a really good day, hopefully weather doesn't play a role and they get on with it, but uh, uh, the game was actually heading almost out of the Black Caps' hands for a while there, they did well to peg them all back yesterday, some good wickets, Matt Henry so they've put, give themselves a, a great shot at winning this test, so 257 runs on the final day, it's like a one day or it should make for good cricket, and we know the Black Caps are probably the best in the 50 over format to be fair at the moment mm. And I caused some distress last night for my daughter as she came down the hallway twice going, what is it Dad? <laughs> As I was watching the breakers, uh, but the breakers won, so that was good. <sighs> yeah, was fantastic. Like, yes, Just yelling, random yelling from the lounge. It was great. Nervous about that one after the you know the, the loss earlier in the week. So um, fantastic that they managed to pull it off in front of you know a record basketball so crowd of New Zealand, almost ten thousand, back to Sydney for Game Five on yeah. Wednesday with everything to play for, and the Sydney Kings with their backs against the wall. Go Breakers! All right, you go Breakers. Thank you very much. There he is, Joe Porter, who, uh, like I said, we keep locked up in the sports department. We won't let him out till at least Wednesday morning. Oh, Elizabeth has messaged in. Thank you very much. I'm going to try and pronounce this right. Is it Caprese? Caprese. Caprese is... Caprese is the salad with the tomato, basil and the mozzarella. Uh, but uh, she um, that's from Elizabeth. Thank you very much. And Jude also likes the idea of the nashi pear with the halloumi. Yeah, not the same bite because for some reason that didn't work because uh, we thought, oh, you can make like a biscuity type thing out of this, but just alternate bites. It's very, very good. Anyway, that's food. Uh, let's talk about what's coming up here on the program. Uh, obviously, in the wake of Cyclone Gabrielle, lots of things to think about. First up, shining the spotlight on the maintenance of our urban waterways. And we're also going to be joined by the fire chief of the final remaining Auckland community that's isolated uh, by the cyclone. <laughs> It's uh, time to have a look at what is happening on Morning Report today. The professionals of the RNZ ship are sailing it this morning. It's uh, Corin Dan who's with me. Kia ora, how are you? Atamaria, good morning Nathan. Uh, very well. Uh, very interesting show today. Of course it's Oscars Day. Yes. Uh, we'll preview that. I've actually um, got my, the audience here at First Up have sent mm-hmm. me in a, a couple of uh, just brief explainers of what these movies are because I haven't seen them. What, none of them? Not even... None of them? No, no, I, no, I didn't Come even on, see you must Top, see Gun. Top Gun. Maverick. That no, was I great. Did, no, I didn't get out to see that one. No? 
I like this one. Someone's written in The Whale, a poor man's updated I need to kill myself film a la Leaving Las Vegas. Brendan Good, but didn't blow my mind, no, to I be honest. I haven't seen The Whale yet. But you've got to wear Elvis. It does look good. Elvis was great. I was strongly recommend Elvis. Oh, yeah. You, Elvis you love it. The music was just outstanding. I'm, just, I'm getting to these. I had to get through Physical 100. I had to get, there was just lots I had to get through. <laughs> Glass Physical Onion. 100. That's so good. It's the best thing. Um, anyway, sorry, what's happening today? No, 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 no. Oscars. Joe Letieri, uh, of course, uh, New Zealander, uh, Weta, uh, Weta Workshop. Uh, he's uh, He, along with a couple of other Kiwis, are up for uh, special effects for Avatar Way of the... Way of the way of the water. Way of the water. Yeah, yeah. way of the water. Sure. Uh, which you know you've got to think is a good. Got to got to think is a, an odds-on winner there. Yes. Uh, but in terms of those, yeah, lots of the best pictures. Um, it's probably the everything, everything, all at once. All at once. Yeah. Um, crime's a bit of a focus today as well. Mark Mitchell from the National Party's in. Latest crime. Well, crime stats that he's saying are up. Uh, also, Be careful, he'll try and fight you. He's uh, looking for a fight, isn't he? Mark Mitchell, he's walking around trying to find someone to box for charity. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. Stuart Nash sort of just quietly backed out of that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. uh, Mitchell's walking around the halls of Parliament, just bumping people in the shoulder. Well, the I suppose it was for a good cause, but you shouldn't you shouldn't have to fight someone for a good cause if you no. don't want to. No, that's true. Uh, no, uh, and we've got to look at the issue of the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, and the implications, uh, this mad scrambling going over on the US to make sure that this doesn't turn into a contagion because uh, runs on banks are scary things. Yeah. And uh, it looks like they've stabilised things. I'm sure there'll be some announcement from the US government about how they're going to make it all work. But there's a lot of money there, 16th biggest bank, a lot of tech firms, billions and billions of dollars. Mm. Uh, someone's going to take a haircut, as Giles would say, <laughs> on, their, on, their, on their money. Yeah. So it's yourself and it's yourself and Jane Patterson. Jane and I this morning. Jane Wonderful. Patterson, political editor. So it's all, right. all good. All right. We'll see. See you in quarter of an hour. Thank you very much. Well, look, there are growing calls for the government to consider a managed retreat from flood-prone areas in West Auckland. But as that could take years to implement, some residents are asking Auckland Council to step up. They say that waterways in the area aren't being properly maintained, and this this caused much of the flooding during recent storms. Our producer Marvash Ikram took a trip to Ranui in West Auckland. Aldrich Esplanade is dry for now. Water is gently flowing through a section of the Swanson Stream that runs along the area. But the tangled debris and fallen branches are a reminder of what happened here on the 27th of January. Locals say the stream became a raging river when it burst its banks and rushed into several nearby properties, leaving residents fearing for their lives. People had to evacuate. A 79-year-old woman pulled to safety by her neighbours, a young family whose daughter was almost swept away, and a couple who were rescued by firefighters. Joe Young was forced to flee his home when the water broke through his back fence. When we left with the fire brigade, it was at our waist at a nominal level, but the torrent of debris on top of that probably made it, you know, another... another 150 mil above waist And height. so you, when did council come and visit you and what did they tell you? Probably about a week later, a couple of council people turned up just to slap the white sticker on it and tell us that it was okay to go in there because it was dry. He says whilst the anniversary floods were of a biblical proportion, the destruction would have been less intense had council ensured the stream behind his house was clear. The underlying issue in my mind is clean out the streams. They are now city drains, as nice as they are with the bush, but they are city drains with all the intensification that pours into them. Just clean out the drains like you're meant to. 
He has lived at the property for more than a decade and says it's rare to see anyone clearing the stream. Has that drain been cleared regularly? Mm, In a nutshell, no. Uh, There's been the occasional crew come down very sporadically, like you wouldn't see them regularly at all, a few times over years, and they've done a little bit of minor fouling and a little bit of minor clearing. Um, But in that 14 years, the, the first 10... Uh, the creek hasn't really it's come up to the top of the banks a couple of times the stream has not overflowed anywhere near like it has in the last couple of years with all the intensification well the last the last four years i would imagine healthy waters leads auckland council's storm water management its head of sustainable outcomes tom mansell refutes that he says that section of swanson stream has had regular maintenance and ulrich esplanade is currently on the council's priority list We've been throughout February and it looks like it has been in March as well. And and prior to Auckland anniversary, so that would be... So last year as well, we do it more frequently than we do other streams. Mr Mansell says the water infrastructure could have never coped with the unprecedented amount of rainfall. Generally a stream will hit bank fall, will hit its top of its bank in around, call it a two-year event. Um, so every, you know, that, that frequency. So what we had in these flooding events was way in excess of a 100-year event. So in those events, that the catastrophic events that happened in that area, no matter what maintenance that was carried out on the stream or not, it was just there was just too much water, so it would have flooded. And that's our, our culverts, our pipes, are designed for a 10-year event. So this event was exceeding all our design capacity. Whilst Joe Young was fortunate the Swanson stream doesn't run through his property, if it did, Mr Mansell says, it would be his responsibility. It is right currently as it stands, it is the responsibility of the property owner to maintain it. Moving forward, you know, potentially in three waters, that is up for debate. But to put perspective, we we cannot afford to take out debris on all naturally lined streams. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain streams. Roger Evans is a retired geotechnical engineer who until two years ago owned a home with a section of the Swanson stream flowing through it. We kept our part clear but it's the problem is in the section from Pooks Road through to Swanson Road which runs through private industrial properties and partly council esplanade and nothing has ever been done, well, it wasn't done in the 16 years we lived there, to clean that out. He says it's unrealistic to expect property owners to maintain streams if they run through private land. In fact, he believes it's a recipe for disaster. The council are expecting the public, under an archaic system, to maintain a major stormwater drainage waterway, an asset, which they should be doing themselves. That needs to change. The council needs to take full responsibility for all the streams and clean them out. Healthy Waters boss Tom Mansell says the system could change in the future. But that's no consolation for Joe Young and his wife. Their home has been white-stickered, meaning they can technically stay, but the couple is always on edge. It's a bit of a knife-edge scenario, Okay, Uh, There's a bit of anxiety there. Now, since the flood, there was a couple of heavy rainfalls over a couple of weeks post-flood. We packed up the house completely, everything off the floors, onto the couches, the tables, the benches, everything, packed suitcases, got in our cart, we we left the house 
twice on different occasions because we didn't know if we were going to be asleep and the, the flood was going to come up again. Uh, the creek did break its banks a couple of times, um, but it wasn't too serious. But it's just that, that unknowing of how much water is going to build up with all the debris dams in that stream. The council says the last round of maintenance around the Young's house was just before the anniversary weekend floods. It says it has spent $21,000 clearing the Ulrich Reserve since and has also removed trees in early February before Cyclone Gabriel. Mavash Ikram with that story. Yeah, one month to the day since Cyclone Gabrielle wreaked havoc on the North Island. Despite being part of the country's biggest city, Karakari in uh, West Auckland, what's well, out on the West Coast, is reportedly now the last isolated metropolitan community in the country. Still without road access after major slips. It was three weeks ago our producer Leonard Powell uh, managed to get out there to Karakari uh, with their local volunteer firefighter Toby Hyman. Toby is um, generous enough to join us this morning so early. Toby, thank you very much for that. Can you tell us more about uh, the, the isolation in Karakari at the moment? What's the latest with the roads to there? Kia ora, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, it's interesting that we are the only isolated community in the country. It really puts things into perspective how how much damage we sustained out here, being that we're 30 minutes from the CBD, Auckland, yeah. New Zealand's biggest city. Um, so things have come a long way since it's been a month already, time flies. Um, mm. It's amazing what a bit of a bit of media attention can, can do to get some feet on the ground. We've had some action from AT out here, which has been really good. They've done all the geotechnical reports and reported back to us that by the end of this week, they intend to have a one-lane safe access road for the community, for residents only, mind you, um, yeah. out of Karikari. So um, that's exciting. Oh, that'll be amazing. So like, how has... Um how have supply? Like, can you just explain to everyone what it's been like daily life as far as your supplies and things like that go? Considering that you just haven't, they haven't had that road in and out. Yeah, it's been pretty bizarre. I mean, a couple of days ago, we had all of our rubbish collected by a helicopter and removed from Karikari. So, multiple helicopter trips. You see your your rubbish flying out <laughs> below below a helicopter over the ranges. Um, and so they've also been bringing in staple food supplies they've set up a community hub hub. this is emergency management by the way um Mm. with the help of the community um so the community has set up a community hub on on some private property outside um a resident's house and and that's sort of acting like a uh dispensary for your um staple products so you can get anything from toilet paper your washing powder some meat, some fresh vegetables sometimes, um, rice, all that kind of stuff. I've got and to say... That, that, that all comes in on helicopter. That's really going to bond that community together. That's, that's um, you know, hopefully that's the great thing that comes out of it. I know that the community had the WhatsApp call uh, last Thursday night. What was the takeaway from that? Yeah, so the takeaway for that was really, it was more our local councillors and AT representatives and... Um, the welfare societies all coming together to let, let everyone know what's happening um, for the community. And the takeaway from that was, like I said, that they've, they've got this intention to open the road for the for the residents to get out by the end of the, the month. Also, just reminding everyone what, what's available as far as welfare. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the hub is, 
as you said, has been a really good thing for the community to get together because we don't actually have any shops out here. Um, yeah. This is there's no dairies, there's there's nothing. So it's been it's been real different for everyone to come together and do their shopping. They they're not just coming and getting their supplies and leaving. They're hanging around, telling stories, having hugs. Um, on the weekend we had because uh, not only does emergency management supply food, but we've had a whole lot of donations from very generous people out there. Um, and so uh, a gentleman brought in a, a whole lot of um, farmer's market type stuff this weekend and they set up a sort of cutty-cutty farmer's market. We had um, a lot of people gathering for that. Some some kids set up a little stand to paint fingernails for the kids and um, oh. it was just a really good get-together. It's been, well, been uh, yeah, heartwarming to see everyone get together. The longest month of the, of the lives out there, uh, but uh, it's it's good to hear at least there's some progress being made. Uh, thank you very much. The local volunteer fire chief, Toby Hyman there, uh, that's one month on there in Karikari. What a shame that uh, stuff hasn't moved on, but look, at least we're getting there. Very quickly, uh, your Oscar reviews uh, that you've sent in to be here's one. All quite on the Western Front, brilliant, but very graphic close-up fighting in the trenches. Title's a misnomer, or was not quite. Artillery noise vibrated the theatre. Uh, another one here, the, the the Banshees of Inisherin, much can be derived from the title. It's a brutal allegory of modern world set in the Irish Civil War of a hundred years ago. Wow, wee, that sounds pretty good. A lot of people liking the Nashi and uh, Halloumi thought of it at least. Yes, oh, and Zoe Hobbs, incredible sprinting record. I'll, I'll get that uh, in the news tomorrow. Uh, morning reporters next with Jane and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have yourselves a wonderful day. We're back in your ears, uh, Paul. Sorry, Zoe Hobbs. <laughs>